I'm going to read about the golden calf that was made. It's a, it's a long chapter, but I think we'll just read the whole chapter. It'll take a while. Exodus 32 and verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The exact words that the people had used previously. The Lord said unto, the, unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, and my wrath may, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. The Lord repented of the evil which he sought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. And the tables were written on both sides, both their sides, on the one side and on the other side were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tab- tables. 
And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. Joshua had gone up the mountain with Moses, and he had been waiting for Moses back further down the mountain from when God had been speaking with Moses. And he said, it is not, that Moses said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he caused the tables out, he cast the tables out of his hands, and broke them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strewed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. And so they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. When Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day three thousand men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I shall go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, Blot me out, I pray, out of thy book which thou hast written. The Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. The Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. God will bless that word. It's, a, it's an interesting chapter uh, and we'll have a look at it 
later. <coughs> We're going to look at this chapter now. I, I entitled it uh, A Pitiful Parenthesis. We have been looking at the tabernacle over the past months and it's a sad parenthesis in the middle. This just comes in in the middle of something which we have been enjoying. Uh, God had been giving Moses the various instructions and the plans for building the tabernacle and the eventual building of it and it comes in between. In between God giving Moses the plans of how the tabernacle was to be built and how eventually the tabernacle was built. And let's look back on what had been happening to the children of Israel. They had been slaves in Egypt. And God had a mighty deliverance of them out of Egypt. And we know that Egypt is a, is a type of the, the world and sin and we have been brought out of the world by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and they came out of Egypt through the sacrifice of the Lamb. And then they had the miraculous escape as they went through the Red Sea and uh, Pharaoh's army was destroyed uh, in the Red Sea. And then they came and they had these bitter waters at Marah, do you remember? And they, the, the waters were, were, were fouled and they were, God enabled those waters to be made sweet. And then they complained about the food and God sent quails and he sent manna. And those quails uh, fed the people and the manna kept on for 40 years. And I, I, I was working that out. That was about 12,500 miracles happened every day for six days a week for 40, day, 40 years. God provided them. So why should we worry about things? They, God provided them food six days a week and on the seventh day they had enough collected on the sixth day. So that was really two miracles. So we had over 12,000 miracles happened as they walked around the wilderness. And then they came to the rock and they had no water. And the place was called Massa and Meribah which means temptation and strife. And they were a strife and a, a, a worry to Moses. And God provided water out of the rock. And all the people were refreshed. Wonderful. And then they came to Sinai. And they met with God there on the mountain. And the, let's look at just go back to Exodus 19. And you'll see what happened at Mount Sinai. Verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. They, they, they were seeing the power and might of God. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And the Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered by a voice. What an amazing spectacle that must have been. It, it, it's just... We can't imagine it. 
those people had that wonderful privilege of seeing that. And now Moses was up in the mountain, I think, for the fifth time. And he'd been uh, with Joshua. He brought Joshua up. And Joshua waited at a certain place. And faithful Joshua stayed there while Moses was in the mountain for 40 days. But you know, things were happening down in the camp. Different things. Here was Moses talking with God, <clears throat> but down in the camp, things were changing. Even after all this evidence of God's power and might and majesty, the people became restless. You know, we have been listening, as it were, we have been eavesdropping with God's conversation with Moses over these past weeks. We have seen all the, the evidence of the, the, how the tabernacle was to be built. God wanted to come and dwell with these people. And these things were not just put there, we saw just for the sake of filling a few pages in scripture. They were put there as an example. It says in Hebrews, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. These were put there to give us a picture of what was going to come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, he hath, thou, hast, thou shalt make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mountain. Moses had to fulfill God's will. We have seen how our Lord and Savior in the many types in the tabernacle, all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been privileged to listen as it were, as it were to what God was talking <clears throat> to Moses, his servant, about. But now... We've been listening to all that. We've been seeing how Christ is reflected in the tabernacle, in the sacrifices, and in the building. But now, we come down to earth with a bump, really, don't we? We see here <clears throat> the reality of man's sin. The reality of the disobedience of man. The fickleness of man in, in, in coming to Aaron and we read in verse 1 what does it say and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him up make us gods which shall go before us after seeing God's majesty <clears throat> and all the rest of it all the things that had happened to them since they had left Egypt they said, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this man, Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. It wasn't Moses that brought them up out of the land of Egypt. It was God that brought them up out of the land of Egypt. But they, they'd forgotten that already. And they said, This man, Moses, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. We don't know what's happened. So let's get on with it and let's do something about it. What a turnabout, I said. What degradation. What dishonor to God. All this. What disaster. Make us gods. They were abandoning God. They were abandoning Jehovah. A few days ago in Mount Sinai, they had seen this 
amazing earthquake and thunderings and the fire like a furnace. And they were prepared now. They had grown weary of waiting for the absent one. They'd grown weary of waiting for the absent one. You know, you must remember that it says when Moses went up into the mountain, there was a mist on the mountain, there was a cloud on the mountain, and he went up into the cloud to meet with God. Out of their sight. And they soon forgot about him. You know, this week the churches have been thinking about the ascension. And if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And then at Luke, it says, in Luke it says, And worshipping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Such a difference from when the children of Israel... When Moses went up into the mountain, as soon as Moses went up, he was away 40 days. And it was 40 days, incidentally, when the Holy Spirit came after, after uh, ascension. The same length of time, after 40 days, these people were beginning to moan and groan and had forgotten about the man who had gone up into the mountain. But the, the apostles, they came back rejoicing. You'd have thought they'd have been worried. You'd have thought they'd been very sad. You'd have thought they'd have been uh, afraid of what was happening around about them. But when they, when they came back from Jesus having been taken away into heaven, they came back rejoicing. And they were in the temple every day continually praising God. The people must have wondered what on earth kind of people these were. These people who had disappeared, whose leader had disappeared, were now all praising God in the temple. They must have said, there's something, there's something here we, we need to look into. But unfortunately, the, the exact opposite thing happened with the children of Israel. When the, the one who was taken away up into the mountain had only been gone 40 days, they began to say, let us make our own gods. The, the Israelites, you know, they, when, when they came through the Red Sea, they had a great celebration. Miriam led them all in singing and rejoicing and dancing. They had, uh, <coughs> Moses was away for 40 days and they'd forgotten all that. You know, when, when, uh, when Stephen was giving his sermon in Acts chapter 7, and uh, he was uh, speaking to the elders, and, and you know, they, they didn't like what he had to say. But in verse 39 he says, To whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them. It, it really means they pushed him out. Of, they wanted God out of their lives. They pushed him out of the way. And it goes on to say, In their hearts turned back again to Egypt. That's our danger, isn't it? That our hearts, when difficulties come, that our hearts will turn back again to Egypt. Then it goes on in verse 40. It said, they said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. You see, they, they grew weary of waiting for the one who had gone away. And it says, if you read on further, that the, in, in the, the, the chapter we read in verse 24, Aaron, uh, Aaron said, 
They are set on mischief. They are set on mischief. <coughs> and as we look around, churches and things today, a lot of the people, their minds are set on mischief. Jehovah had promised his guidance, his leadership, his presence, his, his divine uh, will was going to be concentra concentrated on the children of Israel. He wanted to come and dwell. And you know, Moses must have been, when God was telling Moses all about the, the tabernacle, Moses must have said, this is it. Ah, oh, this, this is a wonderful thing. And then, it all changed. They decided, the people decided, a God formed by man, graven by a tool, a visible counterfeit was rather better for them than God who had promised a present help in time of need. And that, that's the trouble, isn't it? We need to see something visible. And you say, when we read a story like this, how foolish, you know, these people, surely to goodness they must have seen how foolish what the thing they were doing. But, you know, churches today have grown tired of people talking about the rapture and waiting for the, the rapture of the saints to be taken up. We said face to face, oh blissful moment, face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me? We talk about this and Peter said, it was going to be like this. You know, some, some of the churches say, it's a lot of myth, this rapture. But do you know what Peter said? In Second Peter 3, verse 4, he said, people will say, where is the promise of his coming? People will say that. I remember sitting at a, a, a lunch with a group of people, and one of the, 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 the ministers there said exactly that same thing. So things have been the same. Somebody said at the Rosemary a few weeks ago, Here's what he says. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were since the creation. You're always on about this rapture, so things haven't changed. Peter said that's what's going to happen. You know, down through the centuries, the church has always wanted to see a visible presence of God, a God to be worshipped. We've always wanted to see a visible presence of a God to be worshipped. <clears throat> they seem to have a need to gratify the human side of themselves in the worship of the divine God who is the invisible God. You know, it takes faith to worship an invisible God. It takes faith. It said in Hebrews 11.27 Moses he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's how Moses was able to, to lead these people through the wilderness. That's how he had such a, a powerful uh, leadership quality because he endured by seeing the invisible God. Now Moses had of course earlier on the wonderful privilege of talking with God as a man face to face. But through then, through the rest of his walk through the wilderness, he endured, it says, as seeing him who is invisible. 
You know, we live, we walk, and endure in our Christian life only through the eyes of faith. That's the only way we live, by faith. But that's not enough. People still today want to have a visible presence of a God produced by a graving tool. We live, we walk by faith as Moses did. And I, I wrote down here last night on Friday. There are dozens of verses, dozens of verses, but I took a few. Romans 3.28 Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Not by doing anything, not by making a man made God, we are justified by faith. Romans 5.1 Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.7 we walk by faith and not by sight. Ephesians 3.17 That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. We, Christ comes and dwells in my heart by faith. Hebrews 10.38 The just shall live by faith. And we don't need to remind you of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then it goes on. By faith Enoch. Uh, by faith Noah. By faith Abraham. By faith by faith by faith. And then it gives a whole list Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, Moses. And I'm not going to through, through them all. Read them when you get home. Everybody in that list did things by faith. And that's the only way we can walk the Christian life by faith and not by sight. We trust in the death of Christ whom we cannot see. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet will believe. Through faith in him, we have access to God. Through our great high priest, whom we cannot see, but we approach God through Christ by faith. But these people, they lack the faith to put their faith and trust in God. They wanted Aaron to make something that they could see, something tangible. We receive the Spirit of Christ into our lives by faith. I think we've got that. Man wants something tangible that he can make and see and put his finger on and put his hands on and say, that is my God. But that's not the way it is. It's not enough for man. He wants something tangible. And so he makes things. That people can see. And we have all these signs and wonders. We have Toronto. We have Alpha. We have prosperity teaching. We have all these multi-faith services. Ecumenism. They're all things that man wants to make. Rather than the simplicity of trusting Christ. And living by faith. We look around. As we have heard. 
at today's churches and we see we see in them no resemblance to the New Testament church. Yes, what they have produced may be finely engraved. It may be beautiful to look at. It may be something which is, is nice to see and it will be very religious looking. But it bears as little resemblance to what God wants as, as the molten calf did to Jehovah. That's the problem. The molten calf didn't look like the God of the Old Testament or of the New Testament. What good did that that God do the Israelites? It did them no good at all. They had to. They eventually Moses got it and he ground it down and he he made them drink it. And you know, there's a there's a thought. I, I was looking at this during the week, and there's a thought apparently. You know, when a man committed, a, a woman committed adultery, they, they, they were given a, a water to drink. And that water, if, if the woman had committed adultery, it, it affected her whole system. She swole up and her eyes were affected. No. And there is a thought that this, this thing here uh, had the same effect on people when they drank it. There's no, it's only speculation, but it's a thought. And, and one of the, the, the ways of finding whether a woman had committed adultery or not was, was this test. The, I think it's called the water of jealousy or something. But uh, it, it's in scripture. And, and they were made to drink this water. And the woman hadn't committed adultery. Everything was all right as she had when well, this thing happened. But maybe this happened with this water that they drank with the, the, the gold dust ground into it. I don't know. But you know... They made the God to look like the gods of the Egyptians. The Egyptians worshipped a, a god, a calf, and it was called Apis. And it was a beautiful heifer. And the, the Israelites no doubt had seen uh, this being worshipped when they were in Egypt. And they decided that their god was going to look like the gods of the other nations. molten calf how similar for our churches today we want everybody to worship the same way and that's what's happening with all this new age worship this multi-faith worship and Aaron then in verses 5 and 6 it says tomorrow is a feast to the Lord and we're all going to worship together we're going to worship the Lord and this is the molten calf is going to be part of that worship. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Debauchery set in. You know, Satan is, is very subtle. He wanted them to think that the God that they had made was the God that they were to offer burnt sacrifices and offerings to. And that's what's happening in churches. We have all this multi-faith stuff going on. And people are being duped into thinking that they are all worshipping the one God, the God of heaven. But they are not. And then, here's, this, here's the crux of it. In verse 7. God saw it. And he said, get down. Get down, Moses. Thy people... Listen, he says, thy people 
whom thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. God did not say, my people. But he did say they were corrupted. Idolatry of any form always brings corruption. You know, the Roman Catholic Church will tell you that their statues are only there uh, to, to uh, help people to, to see God. But you know, they collect from the people, they collect their earrings, they collect their money, and they make a crucifix, a Madonna, or something like that. And the Pope says, these are your gods. But what does God say? The people have corrupted themselves. And thus, they have forfeited. These people and many other churches have forfeited the right to be called God's people. God says to Moses, thy people. Not my people, thy people. And it causes corruption. Look at the corruption in the, in, we're talking about Alistair Cook talking this morning. Look at the corruption in the, in the Roman Catholic Church in America and throughout the world. All this paedophile scandal in Boston. And it's going to bankrupt the diocese apparently in places. And you know the horrible thing is that they blame others. As Aaron did. The, the, the cardinal uh, is, is down as saying that he, there was one six-year-old boy which, which was part of the trial, one of these priests. And, and he said that the parents were culpable as well because they didn't look after the child. I mean, it's incredible what people will say. Churches today are corrupted and God says they are corrupted because we are mixing the profane and the holy. Let us examine ourselves this morning, as it says in Corinthians. Let us make sure that our lives are pure and holy and undefiled. That we are unspotted from the world. And God said in, to Moses in verse 9, These people are stiff-necked. They're stiff-necked. You know? uh, and, you know, there's a verse in Isaiah 48, verse 4. It says, I knew that thou art obstinate, thy neck is as iron, and thy brow brass. They were hard-headed, stiff-necked people. <laughs> and, you know, that's the trouble. Arrogant. First, Isaiah 46, it says, Egypt is like a fair heifer. Oh, yes, that maybe this thing that they produced was beautiful. But it was there as a counterfeit instead of God. But look, we read this. I'm not going to read it all again. Read verses 11 to 14 when you get home. Moses it was a wonderful character. Moses started to plead for his people. God says, go down. I'm going to destroy. Get away from me because I'm going to destroy these people. And Moses was given a wonderful opportunity. God said, I'm going to get rid of these people and I'm going to use you as the future base for to fulfill my promises. Moses had come through the line of Abraham, Isaac and Pharaoh. The, the Jewish people all came 
So God was still fulfilling his promise. But he says, I'm going to wipe out those people. And I'm going to start all over again with you. What a chance. If Moses had been like you or me, perhaps we'd have said, I'll go for that. That's it. But no, Moses was the meekest man. He was a lovely character. He pleaded, he pleaded for God. And he, he argued the bit out with God. And he said, Look, what, are the, what's the, what are the rest of the people going to think when, when they see what you're doing? They're going to say, oh, you just brought them into the, the desert just to destroy them. What will they say about your name? All that Moses was interested in was the, 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 the thought that the name of God was to be honored amongst the, the pagans round about and for the salvation of his own people. He was a, a lovely, lovely character and, and God didn't destroy them in this particular case. But you know, he, he said to God, don't, be, don't turn your wrath on these people. And then when Moses went down the mountain with the two tablets of stone in his hand with the, 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 the law of God, the poor man had righteous anger. When he saw what was happening, he saw the dancing, the nakedness, he saw the immorality, and he just threw the stones down. He said, oh, you know, I'm bringing these, this law of God down before I even brought them down. They've broken them. And you know, that is the trouble. We are all sinners. We have broken God's law. What a picture of man's sin. And you know, even with all that, even with his anger and everything, you know, if you look on to verse 30, he was a wonderful fellow. After all this happening, Moses was still prepared in the end to go back up to God. He said, ye have sinned a great sin and now I'm going up to God again. And peradventure I shall make atonement for your sin. Oh, he said, I go and by chance God will forgive you all. After all that problem and, and him being so angry with them, he said at the end, I'll still go back up to God. And peradventure God will forgive you. Time's moving on. <clears throat> Verses 21 to 24. We come here to a most amazing thing. God, Noah, Moses came down and he said, and I remember Aaron was older than Moses as a matter of interest. Moses was a younger brother. And, and, and older brothers don't take kindly to younger brothers uh, having words with them. But you know, at least Aaron recognized, he recognized that Moses was right. And he said, let, let not the anger of my Lord wax strongly against me. And then he said, well, what came over you? Oh, he says, those people. <laughs> Isn't it so typical? Oh, they were out, he says. They were out to do mischief. I could see that they, if I didn't do this, they were going to deal very harshly with me. I was in a terrible... You, you, you were struck up the mountain. It's all right for you. But he says, you know, they, they said they wanted us, me to make gods for them. And, and I told them, well, give me the gold. And they broke the gold out of their earrings and they brought it to me. And I, I, I just threw it all into the fire. And, you know, <laughs> the calf came out. Amazing. Mm -hmm. 
it always amazes me, you know. I was thinking about this last night, and that's why I brought a few things here. It always amazes me that these false religions can have such harebrained ideas, and people will accept them. I mean, you, the, the Scientologists have, have, have strange things from outer planets and things. And you think of the Mormons. Your man found these plates and he, he found a pair of glasses. He was able to go on. He got behind a curtain and he read out from these plates and some of the guys wrote it all down. And, and people believe it. You know, when we were kids, we were in, not when we were young people in Ireland, we were told that the, the, the Roman Catholics in Loreto, they had, there's a house in Loreto, and they, they claim that Mary's house is in Loreto. And it, 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 is, uh, it, it was originally in Nazareth. And I, I looked at that last night and I said, I wonder where we write. And you know, we, I, we are right. <laughs> and I, I pulled this off the net, and it's actually in one of these books as well. They believe that the house where Mary lived in Nazareth suddenly was taken by the angels and it was taken bodily and it landed in about three different places and eventually landed in Loreto. And it's surrounded by a basilica in Loreto and they claim that this was the actual house where Mary was born in, in Nazareth. And it's all written down here if you want it and it's got the imprimatur of one of the archbishops. I haven't time to read it out. But if you want it, it's there. That this... And, you know, we have ecumenism and all. The people who are all for joining in with the Catholic don't believe, don't know half the stuff that the Roman Catholic Church teaches. And it has been, even as, as, as recently as 1898 or something, been given approval. As lately as 1894, Leo XIII, in a brief conceding various spiritual favours for the sixth centenary of the translation of the Santa Casa to Loreto. I mean, this is something that isn't medieval. This has been brought bang up to date. That they believe that this place called the, the Santa Casa has moved from Nazareth, lock, stock and barrel by the angels, with a couple of stops in between, to Loreto. It's all like it's all like Aaron's story here. Aaron's story was I threw the gold in and out came the calf. It's all the same principle. Satan will ensure that people are duped. Satan will ensure. It's satanic. All these apparitions of Mary all over the place. It's satanic. Where not fighting against flesh and blood with these religions, the Muslims and all the rest, were fighting against principalities and powers, evil wickedness in high places. And then let's move on very quickly. 25 to 29. We have here what the, 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 the retribution that was taken against the people. And you know, on, on reading this, I don't know whether I'm right or not, but it would appear, it would appear that the Levites were held mostly responsible for this because their job was to ensure that the people worshipped God correctly. And 
you know, shepherds of the flock, people who are, uh, have taken on themselves the, the responsibilities to teach and to, to speak God's word will be judged more harshly than the people who are in the congregation. There's no doubt about that, it would appear. And Moses stood at the gate and he said, Who's on the Lord's side? And the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he says, Thus shalt the, say, saith the Lord God, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, now I, uh, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. It would appear that the Levites actually killed the other Levites who had not obeyed. And later on, the, when they're, they're discussing, I was looking, I looked this a bit further, and when the, the, the numbers of the tribes were, were stated further on, the tribe of Levi was a lot smaller than some of the others. It would appear that some of these people were, were killed off as a result. But in any case, nevertheless, the, the punishment was harsh that those who had disobeyed God were punished very severely. God always harshly judges those who take responsibility to speak out his word. And so, we could go into an awful lot more, but I haven't time. So ended this sad episode in the life, this little in-between thing that took place between God saying he wanted to come and dwell with these people and had this elaborate plan of how he was going to dwell amongst them to the actual execution and building of the tabernacle. This horrible thing came in the middle of it you know when things are going well sometimes say oh things are going so well be careful because that's when Satan will attack us and finally in closing let us see how this applies to our Lord Jesus Christ he came from the bosom of his father he came from heaven's glory he came down to this world. He didn't come with, like Moses with the law in his hands. He came with the law in his heart. He came to fulfill the law. He came to uh, show us that the law didn't work. But it was our schoolmaster to bring us into that knowledge of sin. And then he died upon the cross. He bore the punishment. He became acquainted with the, the condition of man. Moses saw the condition of the camp. He saw that the people had sinned. And those people need to be punished for their sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he came and he saw the condition of man. And he bore the punishment of sin for each one of us on the cross. He went back to heaven. Moses went back up to the mountain we saw in verse 30. And he said, I will go, peradventure, I can make an atonement for the people. But thank God, our Lord Jesus Christ went back with a completed atonement, a finished work. He didn't go back with the thought of peradventure, we may make an atonement for the sins of the people on the earth. No, there was no doubt about it. Christ finished the work that he came to do and is now seated at his Father's right hand, interceding for you and for me. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for many. And the exciting thing that soon he is coming back. We shall meet him in the clouds and 
the important thing is, are you ready to meet him?